Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody feeling today? If this is your first time joining us online at one of our campuses, Greenwood, Banta, Garfield Park, or here at the Greenwood campus, we want to welcome you. Can we give it up for all of our first time guests? If you're watching online for the first time, we want to welcome you as well. If you're not new, as all of our campus, campus pastors have probably said, welcome back. We're starting a brand new series today all about faith. And, uh, but before we get into that, I want to say thank you to our campus leaders, campus pastors, Pastor Cody, Pastor Aaron, for giving phenomenal talks while my family was off, while we're out. Can we give it up for our campus pastors today? Thank you, guys. <clears throat> gave great messages. Jackie and I were able to take our kids and go down to Florida last week and just get a little bit of a break. And if you've been around here uh, for any length of time, you know that that is not a vacation. That's what we call a trip because a vacation is when you go alone with your wife away. But it was nevertheless, even though it was a great, it was a great trip, we had, a, we had some, uh, we got down to Florida and uh, the first day there was 39 degrees. And I was like, oh no, this is terrible. Why did we drive 14 and a half hours to get here? But then it warmed up. So uh, very, very thankful. Good to be back. Missed you guys. Yes, absolutely. Missed all of you guys. So uh, we're going to jump in today, start this series about faith. Faith. Why would we do a series in the beginning of the year on faith? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes these important words. For we walk by faith and not by sight. The Apostle Paul is this massive character in the New Testament. He's probably the most influential person other than Jesus, maybe Peter. And he's he wrote like 14 books in the New Testament. This is maybe one of the most important things he said about people of faith, about Christ followers. Now, I understand not everyone here today or watching is a Christ follower. But if you are a Christ follower, th this is a description of what your life should be like. Like your life should be defined by faith. Your approach to life should be faith. The guiding principle of your life should be that of faith. Faith should be the distinguishing characteristic of your life. Faith. We're to walk by faith. There's a lot of confusion out there today about faith. What it is and do we, you know, do we have a strong faith and are we walking in faith? You know, there are a lot of people that think that if you show up to church on a weekly basis that you have faith. Now, I'm not saying that if you come to church, you don't have faith, but here's what I'm willing to say, that just because you do come to church, that doesn't mean that you have faith. I heard someone say it like this one time. Just because you're standing in a garage doesn't mean that you're a car. <laughs> I mean, you think about that, and I know people that have been coming to church for a decade and their faith hasn't grown very much at all. So just because you attend a local church or you come to church doesn't mean that you have faith. You say, do you have faith? Yeah, I go to church every Sunday. Maybe not. 
Maybe not. There are another group of people out there that think that they have faith because they have right beliefs about God, that their doctrine is correct, that they believe that God exists, that Jesus is the Savior, that Mary was a virgin, that Jesus rose from the dead three days later, that the Bible is the word of God. And you ask them if they have faith, and they say, of course, I believe all these things about God. Of course I have faith. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have faith if you have all the right beliefs about God, but I am willing to say this, that just because you have the right beliefs about God doesn't mean necessarily that you have faith. Have you ever met someone that had all the right beliefs about God, but their life was a complete disaster? You ever met somebody like that? Right? They were filled with arrogance or pride or anger or lust or anything like that. And you look at their life, they got all the right beliefs, but man, they are not walking with God whatsoever. Hey, the devil has all the right beliefs about God. Do you believe this? Does he have faith? The biblical kind of faith? No. So just because we have right belief about God doesn't mean that we have faith. There's another group of people out there that mistake faith for spirituality. They're very spiritual. They connect with the universe. They would maybe say that they pray. And they're oh, super spiritual people. But they don't necessarily have what the Bible would describe as faith. And so it's important that we know what we're talking about when, because Paul says that faith should be the thing that defines our life. He said we should walk by faith. What does it mean to walk in the New Testament? Well, this word here means to live. In fact, some Bible translations actually translate it. They just change the word and to say we live by faith and not by sight. It's suppo- faith is supposed to be a lifestyle. It's supposed to be the thing, as I've said earlier, that defines our life or describes our life or is the disting- dis- distinguishing characteristic of our life. The author of Hebrews says that faith is so important that it is impossible to please God without it. Now, when we read that verse from Hebrews 11, we should all say to ourselves, whoa, this is massively important. We must know what faith is because we cannot even move in God's direction and bring a smile to his face without this thing called faith. So what is it? Let's begin there. What is faith? If it's not coming to church, if it's not right belief about God, if it's not being spiritual, what is faith? Well, at its core level, at the base level, faith is confidence. That's what it is. Now, it's more than this, but we got to start here. Faith is confidence. When we say things like, I have faith that my team is going to win, we're saying, I have confidence that my team is going to win. We were watching the IU game the other night, and it was like, you know, in the first overtime. And I said to my buddy, I said, hey, I have faith they're going to win. They're playing so well. And then it went into a second overtime. And I said it again. They're just playing so well. They're going to win. I have faith they're going to win. And then they lost in the third overtime. But, but. I had faith. Now, it was, it was confidence that I had. It was, that's what it is. That's what faith is. It's confidence. When we say I have faith that my, my son or daughter is going to grow up and make wise choices, we're saying we have confidence. When we say I have faith I'm going to get the job, I'm going to get the position, or I'm going to pass the test, we're saying that we have confidence that we're going to pass the test or get the position. Is this making sense? Faith is confidence. But it's more than that in the Bible. It's at, when you look into the scriptures and you say, man, what is, what is biblical faith? It's actually confidence in something. Paul says, for we walk by faith, not by sight, in verse 7 of chapter 5. The verse right before that, in verse 6, this is what Paul says. So we are always, say it with me, we're always confident. There's the word. We're always full of courage. Even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies that we have, we are not at home with the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Paul was saying there? He's saying, even though 
We are not seeing God because, because the only way to see God as believers is to have our, the spiritual non-tangible or intangible part of us, the soul, depart from our body and, and go to heaven. And when that happens, we will see God and faith will fall away. We'll have no more need for it. But that's not the case right now. We're at home, we live in these bodies, and we're not at home with the Lord. But even though that's true, we still have this thing called confidence. Why? Because we have faith. So what is faith? Well, let's take another step in our definition. Faith is confidence, but now we can move a little bit further and say that faith is actually confidence in the unseen. Faith is confidence in the invisible. Faith is confidence in what we cannot see. That's what Paul is saying here. We're trapped in these bodies. One day the soul will depart and we'll see God. Faith will fall, fall away. Until then, we still have confidence because we have faith in the unseen. The unseen reality of God. This was Jesus' message, by the way. When he came preaching, and he started preaching in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This was the beginning, very short sermon for Jesus. Ready? You want to see what it is? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' message. A short little sermon. I have come, the unseen reality of God has come to earth. For the, what does it mean for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand? It means to be within reach, as this, this phone or this Bible is within my reach. It's at hand. I can take hold of it. It's right here. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is now within your reach. You can have it. You can take hold of it. You can step into it. You're going to have to repent and turn into it. It's so important for us to know what kingdom means. We were singing about it earlier in the, in, in, in the worship songs, the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Dallas Willard has helped me understand this. I wish that every serious-minded Christ follower would pick up this book and read it. It's a tough read, but it's so worth it. Dallas Willard helped me to understand that the kingdom is the effective range of God's will, or it's the range of God's effective will. What does that simply mean? That means that God's will is that place where God's, God's the kingdom is that place where God's will is done. With what he wants done, it gets done. That's, that's what a kingdom is. And if you want to know what a kingdom really is, you know, just, just try to reach over to the person next to you and reach into their pocket. <laughs> You'll find out real quick what their kingdom is, right? Because uh, that's their space. Don't get out of my pocket. You might get your hand smacked, right? Because you've invaded their... A kingdom is the, the place that you have say over, right? And, and we all have a, a little mini kingdom, and that could be your bedroom, it could be your cubicle at work, it could, you could be, a, uh, it could be your, uh, your classroom if you're a teacher, it could be you know, a, build, uh, a building if you're a principal or, or whatever. But you, you have this, this is this area where your will is executed. Now, t- today, this, everybody has a, a six-foot perimeter kingdom around them. Have you noticed this? And, uh, you know, it's, it, it kind of tickles me because... You know, we have this, this social distancing thing going on in our culture today because of COVID. And, and that's all that is, is the, a little kingdom. And once, you know, once someone gets in, in, inside that six feet, you know, there's a, a violation. And, and you can tell some people are really nervous about this when you go out into public, maybe into Kroger or something like that. And, and I, sometimes I do this, and I shouldn't. It's, it's a bad thing to do. But I'll, I'll, I'll see someone who's super nervous about the six feet. And, and, uh, and so I'll, I'll kind of creep into their space a little bit. And that's wrong, that's wrong, that's, that is, that's the dark side of your pastor, I was just confessing, but it tickles me to do that, they're really, really sensitive, and, and that's their, what, have, what have I done? When you step inside their six foot perimeter, you've invaded their kingdom, this is their, hey, don't get too close, right? That's what a kingdom is, it's that, that area that you have say over. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come to earth, 
What is the kingdom? It is the invisible reality of God's activity. That's what the kingdom is. We're told to pray for this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Why are we told to pray that way? Because it's not being done, folks. See, there's three kingdoms going on in this world. There's the kingdom of Satan. His realm is real. It's, de- it's a demonic power on this earth. And then there's the kingdom of millions upon millions upon millions of men and women who choose not to walk with God. And then there's the kingdom of God. Three kingdoms. We're told to pray for this third kingdom, the kingdom of God, to come down to earth and for the will of God to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Why? Because it's not being done. We're told to pray for it. Then we're told to seek it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and all of these things will be added to you. I'll take care of everything that you need. Why are we told to seek the kingdom? It's because it's invisible. It's not evident. It's not something that you can see. And so you and I as believers, as Christ followers, as Christians, we are to pray for it. We are to seek it. What is it? It is the invisible activity of God. So if we want a full biblical definition, I've taken a long time to get here. I'm sorry. But we got we to work this out in the first week of this series. You want a full biblical definition of faith. Here we go. In your notes. Faith is confidence in the unseen reality of God's kingdom on earth. That's what it is. That's what it is. Faith is confidence in the invisible activity of God on earth. In fact, right after Jesus was preaching this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come, right after he did that, Matthew chapter 4, he started healing all these people of their diseases and sicknesses. It was the power of God come to earth. And the evidence that his message was true was the divine healing of sickness and disease. That's the kingdom come among us. So here's what I want to do in this series. All I want to do is, for four weeks, explore the implications of faith. Explore what does it look like. How do we grow in this faith in the unseen reality of God's kingdom? And I want to look at it from a couple couple different angles. I want to look at what happens to our lives should we grow in this faith. Today I want to talk about Maybe one of the most important implications of it in the whole series. I wanted to start off quickly. And I think it's needed because 2020 was a rough year, right? And then 2021 hasn't been much better to start with. And maybe we have Pastor Cody to thank for that yet again. (laughs) Started 2020 with a sermon. Started 2021 with a sermon. Not Not going so great, Cody. Maybe we should have a different preacher next year for the first sermon of the year. I'm, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. We love you. We love you. We did, you did great. He, didn't he do great, guys? Didn't he do awesome? Let go of control, surrender to God. Let go of control, surrender to God. Great message. Um, um, but but he, here's, why, here's why I want to tackle this idea first, because it, we are going through some tough times right now. There's political unrest, there's all kinds of trouble, there, and, and we need to hear this message. What does it look like for a person to have deep confidence in the unseen reality of God's activity on earth. Number one in your notes, watch this. Your troubles do not overwhelm you. Trouble does not overwhelm you. I love the context of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a lot of issues in 2 Corinthians to the Christians in Corinth, but 
one of the main themes of the context of 2 Corinthians is Paul's persecution. He's this preacher. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about faith in God. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And he is getting himself in all kinds of trouble for it, okay? In 2 Corinthians 11, he goes through this long list of things that have happened to him because of his preaching. He says, man, I was, I was pelted with stones. I was whipped five times by the Jews, 39 times. I was beaten over the head with rods three times. I was shipwrecked three times. I was hungry, starving, freezing. I was without sleep. I mean, he goes through this long list of all of these awful things that he had to go through because he was preaching the gospel. He was being persecuted, right? That's the context that he's writing. And in chapter four, he makes this amazing statement in verse eight and nine, and he describes this tension between all the trouble coming to his life and, and, and the joy that he still maintains. Check out what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse eight and nine. He says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, Every, every time I turn, another problem, another problem, another problem. We're pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. He says we're perplexed, we're confused. We don't know why things, certain things have happened. Why did we get shipwrecked? Where was God when that happened? Why did I get pelted with stones? Why didn't he protect me from that? We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. He says, we're hunted down. Come on, God, why don't you just save us from these people who are trying to kill me? We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. How in the world can he write this stuff? It's like, dude, you faced death. You almost died countless times. How can you say that you're, you're crushed or you're knocked down but not destroyed or you're perplexed but you're not given into despair or you're, 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 you're hunted down but you're not abandoned by God? Of course you've been abandoned by God. You almost died. How can you write this stuff? How can you feel this way about your troubles? You know what the answer is? The answer is Paul's faith. Paul had this incredibly deep confidence in the unseen, the invisible realities of God and his, and his hand in his life, at work in his life, behind the scenes, behind the trouble. Listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, but we continue to preach. Now, I'm telling you what, as, as your pastor, I don't, I don't know if I could continue to preach if people were beating me with sticks. If you all started throwing rocks at me, I might just shut up. I might just wrap it up and say, done with Greenwood, done with, you know, Banta, done with Central Indiana. Like, they don't like me anymore. That, that's what I would probably do, you know? If you, if you took out whips and you started to whip me, I might just leave, you know? No, Paul's like, no, we're going to continue to preach. Why? Why would you continue to preach when you're getting persecuted for preaching this message? Because we have the same kind of, say it with me, faith. We have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, therefore I spoke. And then Paul adds verse 14, which is his way of saying, not even death can stop me. Watch what he says in verse 14. We know and have confidence and believe that God, who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, will also, watch this, with Jesus present us to himself together with you. Whoa. Did you catch it? Paul is saying, look, the reason we can continue to preach with full confidence and with full courage is because even if they kill us, they can't stop us. Because the same God that raised Jesus from the dead on the third day 
will raise me up on the third day and present me together with you to the Father. Wow. See, when you have confidence in the unseen reality of God's activity on earth, the kingdom of God on earth, you're unstoppable. Your troubles do not overwhelm you. You have troubles, you face troubles, you have difficulties, but they do not overwhelm you. You're unstoppable. And so Paul continues in verse 16, listen to what he says. This is why we never give up. It's real simple. You want to know why I never give up? When they throw rocks at me or they hit me with sticks or they put me in jail or they do this or they do, or we get shipwrecked and we're starving and we're hungry. You don't have clothes. We're freezing to death. We have nowhere to sleep. You want to know why we never give up? Another version says we never lose heart. You want to know why we never give in to despair? It's because even though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day by this faith, this faith in this unseen reality of God, that he's here and he's at work. Do we not need this today in our country? We look at the news and we see rioting and we see this and we see all this political stuff. We see all this terrible stuff every time, you, even on Facebook and, and all this all, uh, difficult, horrible things going on. And, and, and a lot of the temptation is for, for people of faith is just to go, oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's awful. Can you believe this? Give in to despair, get, get discouraged, become overwhelmed. It's so easy for that to happen if you're not seeing the unseen. If you're not putting your confidence in the unseen reality that God is still at work. That he has not abandoned us. I love the way Dallas Willard explains it in the Divine Conspiracy. He says it like this. Knowledge of the kingdom, or you could say confidence in the kingdom, puts us in a position to welcome all of these. What are these? Trials, troubles, tribulations. To welcome all of these. Why? Because we're in a position to thrive on everything life can throw at us, including getting up in the morning. (laughs) For some of us, that's the first trouble of the day, getting out of bed. Yes? It's like life is just a series of troubles, and the first one is waking up. But we're, we, can, we, can, we can receive all these things and thrive on, on all of these things because we're in a posture, we're in a position to welcome them because we know that God is behind the scenes working, doing things, that he's sovereign and that he has a plan. And so we can relax and we're not overwhelmed by our troubles. Now, I think that's a pretty awesome argument that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 4 that should bring us tremendous encouragement that we can... We can go through this life and and not allow our troubles to overwhelm us, whatever they are. But then he takes it a step further. And he says something incredible, verse 17, which I think for some of you is probably your life verse. If it's not, it should be. It's a beautiful, beautifully worded 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And he, he tops off his argument like this. For our light and momentary troubles. Now think about that for a second. This guy has faced death time and time again. He's been shipwrecked, beaten up with sticks, with whips, pelted with rocks, put in prison, starving, freezing, and he calls his problems light and momentary? He's going to have to explain this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now you're going to have to have some eyes of faith to understand what this means. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, the reason why you shouldn't get overwhelmed by your troubles is because, first of all, they're, they're light. They're, they're like pillows. They're like feathers. You think they're heavy. They're not. And they're short. 
You think they're gonna last forever? They're not, they're temporary. They're light, they're temporary. And oh, by the way, they're producing something in you. This is the unseen reality of God. At work, behind your troubles, doing something in you. What is he doing? He's producing in you an eternal glory. What is that? Well, the word glory is this Greek word doxa. It means beauty. It means, it means something that is glorious, something that has tremendous splendor, riches, something solid. It's used to describe Jesus himself. What, what Paul is saying is that your light and momentary troubles are actually doing something in you. They're producing a glory, a glory that will last forever and that far outweighs. They're way heavier than all of your troubles put together. This glory. James put it like this, brothers and sisters, James chapter one, verse two through four. Count it all joy when all kinds of trials and troubles come into your life. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect in your life so that you can be perfect and entire, lacking nothing, so that you could be glorious. Have you ever come across a person that's been through tremendous pain and they kind of They've been through it, they've walked through it, and now they, they kind of have this glow about them. There's something different about them. They walk different through life. They have a gentleness, they have a quietness, they have a, a shine on them. You ever met somebody like this? It's a glory. The pain and the trouble produced something beautiful in them a character that will last forever. A few, a few months ago, a few weeks ago, we did a video um, with Susan Vest. She lost her son Noah when he was 13. How many of you saw the video? Yeah. If you didn't see that video, go back and watch it. It's on our YouTube. What you don't know is we had to redo that video because we had some technical difficulties. So I got to spend a little extra time with Susan, and I've known this about Susan for, for quite some time because I was with her during that time when she lost Noah. And Susan is one of these people that has a, and if you know her, you know this about her, the, the, the trial and the pain of losing her only son produced in her a, gl a glory. She might not describe it that way but there is a, a gentleness and a softness and a tenderness and a, glow, and a glory to her because she allowed the pain to transform her. That character trait that Susan has will last forever. Last forever. That's why when we were talking in the, in the last series that we did, The Hope of Heaven, when I, we talked about how God is going to redeem us and he's going to transform us, and Pastor Aaron did the last talk on that, when we get to heaven, we're going to see each other perfected, and we're going to have a glory about us. And some of us are going to shine brighter than others. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. But, man, we are all going to shine, and we are all going to be looking at each other like, oh, my gosh. Look at her. Look at him. Look at, look at how they're shining. You're awesome, and you're awesome. And, you're, and, and we are going to be giving each other affirmation and encouragement. I would say we, would, we, we might be tempted to worship one another because of the glory, but we won't because there'll be one there that we worship, yes? But you will shine 
And you will reflect the exact image of Jesus Christ and it will be glorious. And Paul simply says, right now, your light and momentary troubles are producing in you. Can we look back at it, verse, seven, 10, verse 17? They're producing in you a glory, a character, a beauty, a shine in you that is eternal. And it will far outweigh all of your troubles. Is anybody else excited about that? I mean, you have to have eyes to see this, folks. This takes faith. Faith to know that behind the trouble, there is a God who's working and orchestrating to change who you are, to produce in you a glory. And if you believe that, guess what? Your problems do feel light. Your problems do feel temporary because you know that God is behind the scenes working. It's confidence in the unseen reality of God that allows you and I to not be overwhelmed with our troubles. Wouldn't you love to describe your troubles right now as light and momentary? Wouldn't you love to describe the troubles in the United States political system as light and momentary? I do, and I am. I say, yeah, that's no problem. It's not a problem. You see, it's just temporary. It's light because this world, the United States of America, is not our home, folks. Amen? No, 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 no. That wasn't strong enough. Amen? Like, y'all are living like, this is it. Like, this is our home. What are we going to do? And you're freaking out. No. It's not your home. It's not the end game. This isn't where we land, the United States of America. We can chill out. We should chill out. In fact, that's what Jesus was looking for on the boat that day in Matthew chapter 8. How many know what I'm talking about? One of my favorite stories in the Bible. The boys in the boat. The boys in the boat. The disciples are in the boat. They're hanging out. They're chilling out. Jesus is taking a nap. Okay, that's why I'm a big believer in naps. Jesus napped, okay? So, so Jesus is taking a nap. He's chilling out, okay? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm comes in, a big storm. The waves are coming in the boat. The boat's taken on water. They have reason to fear, and they freak out. They have enough faith to wake him up, and they say, Jesus, we're going to die. Don't you care about us? Look, the water's coming in. We're all going to drown. You remember what Jesus said to him? Why are you so afraid? You know what the Greek word afraid means? Freak out. You could translate this. Why are you freaking out? Now I just made that up. It didn't mean that, so don't, don't quote me on that. But, but, but it is what he's saying. Why are you freaking out? Now, they had good reason to be freaking out. The water was coming in the boat, and the boat was about to fall, and they were about to drown. But Jesus still says, why are you so afraid? Why is your faith so small? What does he mean by that question? Why is it that your faith hasn't helped you to look at the problem and respond calmly? Why is it that you have been overwhelmed by your trouble? He doesn't say they have no faith. He just says, why is it a little faith? Come on, don't you know who's here? Don't you know about the unseen reality of the kingdom? Don't you know that I can say peace be still to the winds and to the waves and everything obeys me? Don't you know that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and I can say anything I want and it's done? Don't you know that I can heal a leper? Don't you know that I can give a blind man back his sight? Don't you know that I created the heavens and the earth? Don't you know that I can part the Red Sea? Come on, guys. Why are you freaking out? And you know what? I think God would say that to you today. Those of you who are freaking out because of the political unrest in this country. Why? Are you so afraid? Why is your faith so small? See, the greatest test to know the quality of your faith is to look at how you respond to trouble. 
Not, do you go to church every Sunday? Not, do you have all the right beliefs? Oh, yeah, I'm doing good. Not, are you spiritual? Do you pray? No. How do you respond to trouble when it comes up in your life? That is the real test of the quality of your faith. Jesus proved it right here with these words. Let me ask you a question today. On a scale of one to ten. One being, you freak out daily. <laughs> I mean, there's not a day. You're multiple freak out sessions a day. Okay, that's a one. Ten is like, no matter what's going on, you're like ready to take a nap. Like, oh, I'm going to go with Jesus. Sleep this one off. You never get frazzled. You're super chill. You have maybe one freak out session a year. That's a 10. Where are you at? Where are you at? Come on, be honest. Like, this is how we grow at church. This is how church actually makes a difference in our life. Like, you're like, okay, I'm a two. Yeah, I suck. Okay, yep. Yep. Pretty sure I have, you know, two or three freak out sessions a week. That's great. Because now you know where you are. And now you need to get to a five. How do we go from a two to a five? Like, seriously, grade yourself right now on on how often you freak out. How often you give in to fear. Is it a four? Let's get you to a six. Is it a six? Let's get you to an eight. If you're an eight, let's go to ten. Like, and that's what I want this series to be all about. I want you to move. I want you to grow in your confidence in the unseen reality of God's kingdom on earth such that Jesus won't look at you and say, why is your faith so small? See, when you have that kind of confidence and that kind of trust in God, your troubles do not overwhelm you. How do we grow in this? You said, you told me how to grade myself, but how do we grow in this? Well, it's real simple. Jesus told us how to do it. Look for the kingdom everywhere. You want to grow in your confidence and the unseen reality of God's activity on earth? You have to look for it. Look for it. It's happening everywhere. You just have to have eyes to see it. Every day I read my Bible. It's not a, a, a brag. It's not. It's just I know this is a source of the kingdom. I read about, I read about the, the, Romans, uh, the Roman centurion that came to Jesus this morning in Matthew chapter 8. He says, look, I got this. Uh, my servant is sick. Can you come to my house and heal him? Jesus says, I'm on my way. He says, no, 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 don't come. Don't come. I'm not even worthy for you to step into my house. Just say the word, and, and, and I know he'll be healed because I'm a man of authority. You're a man of authority, and I know if you just say it, it'll be done. Jesus is like, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Go your way, your servant is healed. Whoa. I'm reading that this morning. You know what I was reading about? I was reading about the kingdom. So why do I read my Bible every day? Why? So I can tell you about it? Hey, you should see my streak on version. It's like 600 and something days straight. Do I say that to, so that I can stand in front of you and say, hey, I, no. I want to I I see what the kingdom is like. What are the ways? What is God doing? How does he act? How does he live? How does he move? How does he think? And so I'm reading this every single day. Look for it. I look for it. I look for it in my wife. I look for it in my kids. I look for it. I look for it in you. I look for it in people. Sometimes the, the greatest source of the kingdom is just looking for it in people. Someone who's trying to get clean from drugs and, and they've run into a friend or this one or that one. And you can see, wow, look at, look at God. It looks like a bunch of humans, but God is behind the whole thing working in people's lives. Oh, there's the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus is looking to transform people's lives. God is looking to transform people's lives. I see it. I see it everywhere. When I see it, a husband go back to his wife and reconcile and, and work out their problems and differences, I go, there's the kingdom. 
Why? Because Jesus and God are into reconciliation and forgiveness and, 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 and all that stuff. And I'm like, that's not just two humans. That's the kingdom of God. I look for it. I look for the kingdom everywhere. And I see it. I see it in a sunrise. I see it in a sunset. I say, God, oh, your kingdom is here. Your presence is here. You're acting. You're moving. You're doing things. I see it in answered prayers. Jesus told us to seek it. Seek the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means look for it. Look for it. You know, if I, if I have any influence on your life at all as, a, as your pastor, let it, let it be this. Let it be this, that I taught you this verse. That because you and I have interacted through the spoken word, through services or whatever, that I have helped you to, to begin to seek the kingdom of God above all else and to live righteously and to trust God to fill in all the gaps. Seek it. We're always trying to help you seek it. Right now, I'm trying to help you seek it. What we've done as a staff and our, our, our pastors here at the church, we've written a 21-day devotional. Why? To help you seek the kingdom. I would ask you right now to text the word faith to 65248. That's how you get access to, to that devotional. Again, why did we write it? To trigger you seeking the kingdom through the scriptures. When you text the word faith to 65248, you'll also learn about fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is a way to seek the kingdom. What is a fast? You heard the campus pastor say it earlier. Fasting is when you deny yourself something, typically it's food or a, a, a certain type of food. Sometimes it's a whole fast, but it also can be social media. That's a great thing to do. It could also be something like, like sugar or alcohol or something like that, where you say no to something specifically and create this gap, this hunger in your heart and you replace that with God and you're taking more of God into your life and now you're becoming more aware of God because you've cut this other thing out. It's an incredible way to seek the kingdom of God and to become more aware of his presence. So when you text the word faith to 65248, you'll also get some insight on fasting. Seek it. Look for it everywhere. Let's go from a two to a four, a four to a six, a six to an eight during this series. Does that sound like a fair challenge? Yes? Okay. Now, as we wrap up today, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. What does that mean? It means that you and I need to turn from living out in our own kingdom, being a little queen, a little king, running our own show, calling our own shots. That's the human way. We come out of the birth canal that way. Mine, mine, that's what we say, right? I could do it, my, I could do it on my own. We have to repent of that and then step into the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ has come to this earth to die on a cross to make it possible for you and I to step into that kingdom. He removed the barrier. He died for your sin. He came not just to take you to heaven when you die. He came to live with you right now. Would you like to step into the kingdom of God today? You can do that by faith. You can do that by placing confidence in Jesus. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. I'm gonna encourage you, if you've never done this before, to step in right now. If you feel drawn into this moment, put, put your faith in Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to be your savior. Pray with me if you feel led to. Dear Jesus, my faith is small, 
but I still reach out. I put my confidence in you today. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, make me your child. From this day forward, teach me to walk by faith and not by sight. To put my full confidence in the unseen reality of your kingdom every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen, all of our campuses watching online. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, we would love to put a sort of a starter kit in your hands. We call it our save box. If you text the word save to 65248, we will make sure you get one of these in the mail. Inside of this box, there is a Bible. There's some instructions on how to get connected to the church, baptism, and there's also a special coffee cup in here to say congratulations to you. One more time, church, can we give God a hand for what he's doing? Amen. Many people entering into the kingdom.